This is an Island to Island production. I'm Molly Walker and welcome to Ironcast, the show that brings you discussions with craftsmen, celebrities, denim heads, retailers, members of the internal and extended iron art family, and well, sometimes people we just plain like. In this episode, we're talking to co-founder of the world-famous Dice magazine, Dean Mikitich. We talk about a 3-megapixel camera, a 3,000-mile trip in a hot rod, and two handsome men kissing in a diner. This is an Island to Island production, hosted and edited by me, Ollie Walker. You're listening to Ironcast. You're listening to Ironcast. You're listening to Ironcast. And I'm listening to Ironcast on horseback. You heard Ironcast, the podcast from Ironheart. Reporting from the West Coast, you're listening to Ironcast. Evam Adrisara Vachanam Shrikavya. You are listening to Ironcast, motherfucker. Enjoy. I'm recording right now. So and it's looking good right on now. the uh on the screen. It's not peaking or anything. It's right in the middle. So we're looking good. Right in the middle. Okay, yes, this is a really random thing, but can I ask you a favor? Could you could I go three, two, one and then clap? <laughs> like we're me children. For, wait for me to do that or for both of us to do that? Both of us at the same time, just so I can find I can align the two tracks. Okay, let's do it. You ready? Three, three two, two one. one. All right. Oh wait, your clap Mate, was later than mine. Yeah, yours is later than mine, man. There's a delay. Oh, there is a delay. Okay, well, yeah, yeah. Is that oh, gonna work mate. for you? Yeah, that'll be fine because I'll just I'll align the two tracks. It's not going to be a okay. It's not going to be an issue. Yeah, it's, it's this is the thing you have to contend with when you're talking on Zoom. Um, so for for everyone listening now, me and Dean are talking. I'm in Arizona right now. Dean is in North Carolina in Charlotte. Is that right, Dean? That's right. Yeah. And so Dean, <laughs> you started Dice Magazine started in London. Yes. So me and my good friend Matt Davis started Dice Magazine in London in 2004. Um, we, we'd met before that. We'd met in like 1995, 96 in London. And at the time, it was a really good kind of, uh, it was a really great scene over there for cars and bikes and rock and roll and, you know, that kind of thing going on in London. So we kind of gravitated towards all of that because of you know my parents already being into that and matt was into that and uh yeah we met in london in the mid 90s and we did a whole bunch of stuff together played in bands and built crazy cars and bikes and (laughs) yeah and then in the early 2000s we just i mean decided it was matt's idea actually he was like i was spending a lot of time in la i graduated from st martin's in 2001 Mm. with a degree in textiles and then instantly moved to la to build hot rods so it was uh, <laughs> well worth it. But yeah, so, and then I was kind of back and forth, London, LA, you know, and while I was there, um, I came back on one of the trips and Matt was like, you know, we should start a magazine. And I was like, why? And he's like, because there's no magazines around that have the stuff in it that we like. So I was like, all right, I mean, fuck it. You know, we've, you know, everything we did was just kind of on a whim and just because we loved it. So I was like, all right, cool. Nobody's going to buy it, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> and so we did. And he was like, and uh, yeah, so we started this magazine, and it was it was hilarious, and people started buying it. <laughs> and that was in, of course, that was in London. So you know, it was at the time we were pretty limited. So I was going back and forth, London, LA. You know, so issue one was like all of our mates in London and LA, and then we kind of didn't have anything left for issue two. And then slowly we started meeting people and going to shows. There were no like real bike shows. It was mostly like car shows back then for hot rods and customs. 
and there'd be one or two bikes and I'd shoot it. You know, he was like, I've got this brilliant camera. You can, you can take it with you to LA. It's a, a, a Nikon Coolpix, three megapixels. <laughs> so I was like, cool. <laughs> so I'll take that, you know, and just like try and be all arty and weird and different. And we put these, you know, the issues of the magazine together and just, yeah, you know, and that's how it all started. So, and I remember him, you know, Matt saying like, you know, I went to, uh, he went to PC World, I think. He was like, I was looking at, it was either InDesign or Quark or some shit like that. And he's like, man, that fucking, it's so expensive. It's like two grand. He said, but I got something. It was 29 quid. It's exactly the same. I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. You bought something that's 29 quid and it's the same as Quark. I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't think it is. And he was like, well, let me show you, right? So we went back to his, he was living on a houseboat at the time on the River Thames. And he's like, let's go back to the boat. I want to show you this program. It's brilliant. So I was like, all right. And it was a PC program, $29.99, called uh, Page Plus Serif. And I was like, this is excellent. Like, it blew me away. And it was, it's basically, it was a program made for like little old grannies to put greeting cards together. Where it was just like drag and drop, text, add. You know, it was like super basic, but it really worked for us. And it's funny because... Yeah. Fuck, man, we used that program up until, like, I mean, up until issue 30 or 40 something. We used it for no. a long time. Yeah, man, we just we basically would put a page together and then convert it into a PDF and then save it, you know, and then send it to the printers like that. Because, of course, we spoke to the printers. We're like, do you know um, Serif Page Plus? They're like, no, mate. <laughs> but we used it forever. It was brilliant. So we had a, a Nikon Coolpix and we had a... Uh, you know, we had this shit program and we'd turn it for photo shoots. I remember even in America, it'd be like, oh, you know, the guys from Dice are coming to shoot the bike. And I would shut, you know, I'm probably drunk with this little handheld camera. And they're like, have you got any lighting or anything? I'm like, oh. you know, and shoot five pictures and be like, all right, cool. Where's the beers? You know, there's that. That was it. So, and it was really, you know, it was started because it was kind of a backlash to what was happening in the motorcycle world at that point where it was like, you know, when we started Dice, it was, you know, uh, West Coast choppers on the telly and theme bikes and $200,000 big tire choppers. And we were like, fuck all that shit. Just go and build a Triumph in a shed for two grand. And, you know, it was that kind of ethic where it was kind of a, that mm. punk rock kind of state of mind. And that's that's kind of what we've tried to hold on to even now. So You, you say you were in London. I'm aware that around that sort of time, there was a lot happening around like the King's Road and whatever else. Was that where you kind of were? Yeah, well, Matt was little history on Matt. So Matt was born in 1960. So he was 20 years older than me. So when I met him, which is in 95, 96, I was like 16 years old. He was 35, 36. So, um, but you know, he had, my dad had a chop Merc and he had this hot rod and there was this rock and roll. So we all kind of like hung out together and, you know, he had come from, he was born in, uh, Notting Hill. So he was born, you know, West Park, uh, no, Labrick Grove. He was, so he'd hang oh, out in Labrick Grove in the 70s and skateboard and hang out. You know, at that time, you have to remember, it was kind of like lower class families with rich families. It was a real diverse mix. And he didn't have a lot of money. So he kind of hung out and did that and then grew up and was really into motorcycles and old cars. And he was a mod in the early 80s. And then, you know, he said his one of his moments that changed him was his, his friend had said to him in like, I think it was 1977. So he must have been 17. And he said he'd wear flares and like had like blow dried hair and stuff and was listening to the Rolling Stones. And his friend said, look, man, there's this band playing at my college tonight. You have to come and see him. They're called the, da they're called the Damned and you're going to love them. <laughs> so he was like, all right. So he went to go and see the Damned in 1977. He said it fucking just blew his mind. He was just like, wow. 
Wow. What the fuck, man? So he went home, cut his own hair with his own scissors and all fucked up. <laughs> and he said from that moment on, he said it was just like, you know, it just changed his life. And that was kind of, it's kind of how we see the magazine and, and our outlook on everything. And we kind of agreed on everything where it was like, you know, punk rock is not a, a style of music. It's a state of mind where it's like, you just mm. do stuff because you love it. You're not doing it to conform or do it like everybody else. It's just, you know, it's, it's just raw. So, yeah. and then, you know, we met in the nineties and then unfortunately he passed away in 2016 and, um, 2017, sorry. And, um, yeah, just, uh, it's, you know, kind of, I didn't know what was, what was going on. So I just, I didn't know whether to, to continue with the mag or stop doing it. And we kind of, uh, I, I kind of just was like, all right, well, I'm just going to see how it goes. You know, we, we've never done it for, you know, for money. And, you know, if I wanted to make a lot of money, I'm in the wrong business, but I'll see how it goes and <laughs> see how I feel. And it kind of, you know, those, you know, the first few issues that I put together without him, it still felt like he was there, you know? So it was, it just felt right. So here we are and we're, you know, next year will be issue 100 and uh, almost 20 years. Oh my God, man. That's crazy. And with, with, with Matt, I mean, was it, was it a shock passing away? I mean, yeah, well, how did it all play out? He, he got diagnosed with cancer and um, we figured that, you know, I just, at that point it was probably, a, you know, a good year before he passed away. And I just said, look, you get better. Um, I'll try and concentrate on doing the magazine myself and, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out, you know? And then when it was diagnosed, it was stage four and it, he wasn't going to make it. It was just like a real fucking shock. So then it was like, oh shit, you know? And that's when he gave me his motorcycle and, just it just that was it then he just you know he passed away and it was fucking brutal and yeah you know but it was still it's still kind of one of those things where it's a reminder that you gotta just live life man because yeah it's just too short and it could end at any point and you know everybody says to me like i'm really you know i'm sorry for your loss and i'm like i appreciate that and i did lose a lot but i also gained a lot you know we went you know we, we did a lot of stuff together not just a magazine you know we played in bands and like I said, built motorcycles and cars and traveled the world and we did all kinds of crazy shit. So, you know, and he, he lived life on his own rules. So I think that's a takeaway uh, point from all that is that, you know, it's fucking short. So live it. Uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty beautiful. Around, if I'm not mistaken, Dean, around the sort of time, maybe a year after um, Matt's passing, uh, he had this, obviously, as, as you know, you kind of were given his, his incredible, I believe it was a Jenny shovel. Yeah, uh, 67 travel and it stroke I mean an unbelievable thing and I remember seeing it at the assembly show. Oh yeah. In Waterloo and had the roses all underneath it just Yeah. Just I mean he said, man. you know, cuz he said to me it was just a, it was a couple of months before he passed away and he, he sent me a message or something. He said, "Hey, I need to talk to you." And I knew something was wrong because we never talked about anything. We just kind of knew each what each other were doing, thinking, you know, whatever that looks like, but and I was like, "Oh fuck, you know." So I went around the next day and he said, "Look, man, he said, it's, you know, I, I just, there's some things I need to do. I want you know, I want to give you my motorcycle. And I'm like, you know, fuck that mm -hmm. motorcycle. Let's sell it and we can pay for your hospice or whatever, you know, at home right. or whatever. And he was like, no, nah, man, I want you to have the bike. Enjoy it. It's your bike, you know. Um, and if anybody comes into town, let them ride it, you know, mm. uh, just enjoy it. So, you know, when he passed away, I was like, well, fuck it, man. I am going to enjoy it. So I shipped it. First thing I did was I shipped it to Antwerp. And then rode it from Belgium into France into England for assembly. Um, then we uh, shipped it back. I shipped it went. Then it went to Japan. Then it went to New York. 
and I, you know, I used it for a good year, like put a few thousand miles on it. And then, um, you know, that engine was a fucking beast, man. Keo built it. It was a 96 inch stroker, you know, kickstart only. And so it was a great, you know, it was a hot rod engine, but as far as like riding around daily, it was, it was, it was a bit of a beast. So I was like, That's you know what, I'm going to yeah. pull the, pull the motor in trans and I'm going to put a stock 47 knucklehead in it, you know, keep the bike all the same, oh but just put the knuckle motor in it and, and and be done you know where it's like built stock spec it's not going to break my leg every time i kick it you know that kind of shit so and then uh, then that was it so i put the i had this beautiful 47 knuckle motor built and i put it in and then after i put it in i realized that the rear head wasn't as tall as the shovel head motor so there was this fucking inch and a half gap between the rear head and the frame because i was just going to leave it all and just put the engine in it so then i was like man my ocd can't live with that so so then that's when i decided to pull that beautiful blue tank and fender off because i had to make a new tank to take up that space you know so my friend zach custom made that axe tank that went on the bike and i put the the black and chrome rear fender on the back and i had his blue tins for a long time in my garage and i just you know stare at them and and after all i thought this is a bit of a waste you know so i ended up raffling those the tank and fender um and gave all the gave all of the money to this little girl who has cancer that I just saw on Instagram. Oh, so I gave all the money to her. And then fucking crazy, but a friend of mine who lives in Charlotte won the tank and fender and he's building a knucklehead around the whole tin set. I was like, what? I mean, how crazy is that? So it how they will actually get to be used because I was feeling guilty that we're just like sitting around, <laughs> you know. So um but that was the reason that I changed the tins. I didn't really want to, but I had to, so um, and then we were, I was going to ship the bike to Europe and ride it around through Sweden and all that. And then COVID hit. So now that it's all dying down, I'm ready to get back on it and ship it around the world and keep going. It's oh man. I mean, for, for anyone that's listening, I'll put a kind of a, I'll put a few links in the description of the podcast of the original iteration and then what Dean did with the knuckle motor and then it going black. I mean, it, I mean, it's such an amazing transition with that bike. Um, yeah, but I love it. So the thing is, so I, I've got to ask you, mate. So you ended up, the first time I met you, um, I, was, I was in LA for a little bit and I remember seeing this store and it was called Trico. And I remember like walking in, expecting it to be one thing. And then suddenly I heard these amazing, like London twang, this amazing, these amazing accents in the background. <laughs> and you walking towards me, suddenly realizing I was English and suddenly the next thing I know, you're giving me dice t-shirts, you're giving me dice magazines. Mate, just take it, take it. Invited me out to a party at Harvard in Stone, invited me to so- yeah, <laughs> so house on sunset. <laughs> yeah, we had a great time. Well that's the yeah. thing. It's funny because usually usually if I meet English people abroad, I just steer clear, you know. I don't but um <laughs> no, it's just I mean, there's you know, it's just certain you just know sometimes, you know, with the energy, you just know people. So um no, it was good. I, and also um, it's the same thing where it's like you know, if I, I want people to be excited about stuff, whether it's dice or bikes or you know whatever it is that people are into. So, you know, if we're if we're doing stuff, it's like get everybody together and let's all do it together. So, you know, we yeah. became friends from the moment we met. So it was yeah, it's just it was just natural. It didn't you know seemed seemed you know like the right thing to do. So, and look, we're well, still mates. So this- obviously, you don't know me that well because most of my mates get really <laughs> pissed off for me. <laughs> I 
But it just seems to be the way with you. Like, it, it, it's amazing, really, when you think about this, I don't know, like, you know, this chopper culture that is so, you know, synonymous with America, America. And this English guy has basically become now the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the man of it. Well, it's, yeah, because when we moved to America, because, of course, we started in 2004. And like I said, it was very, uh, you know, TV theme bike, motorcycle, Sturgis, do-rag kind of. You know, you had to be a yeah. biker to ride a bike. And then we started Dice, and it was <laughs> kind of the opposite of all of that. And then, you know, we moved to L.A. in 2008. And then, um, yeah, I mean, when we started it, we didn't know. I mean, there was probably, I knew two people under 30 that owned a panhead. It was, like, very, <laughs> very rare for a younger person to own something like a knucklehead or a panhead. It was just, you know, the first time I met Max, Max Schaff in Oakland, he just finished the 4Q knuckle. That was around issue nine, so it must have been like 2008, 2009, uh, maybe a bit before that. And I was just thinking, fuck, man, this guy owns a knucklehead. You know, because it was all just like Braybeards <laughs> who owned their bikes from the 70s. And then this new generation wow. started coming around where it was like, you know, people were building little Triumph bobbers and like these sports to choppers. And then they'd get a shovel and then there was a pan. And then it just started, then it exploded. And then it was like, you know, the floodgates opened, which is great. And then, of course, with the internet and Instagram, it just then it's then it's just global at that point where it's it's mm-hmm. you know because you know when we started building bikes and starting dice and all that it was so hard for anything you know this is before eBay like you couldn't even fucking buy shit on eBay like you'd have to go to America and find it and ship it back or really yeah I mean it was a, it was really early days man when I moved to America two thousand one it was eBay had just started or it was just you know it was very new to people like what is this. I remember Matt showing it to me for the first time. I'm like, dude, check this fucking website out. I'm like, this is great. Let's buy a bunch of stuff. And then he had to pay for it all because it was all on his account. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was just wild, you know? So how everything changed so quickly within that span of time, but it all kind of happened all at the same time. So it was good. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I said, it was, um, it was like an explosion and it was, it was great, man. And we just documented it all and tried to keep up and, yeah. you know, have release parties and, go to all the shows and all that so and of course we were, we were based in LA then so then the, the scene in LA started to grow and met a lot of people and you know Cycle Zombies was still you know 16 years old without driver's licenses at that point you know Jer- <laughs> Jeremiah from Love Cycles had just built his first cone shovel and ridden to LA through the night you know it was that time like everybody wow. was coming together and Max had just finished his 4Q bike and his shovel and you know it was like really exciting and fresh and like so, but yeah, it's hard to believe, man. It's like almost 20 years ago. Oh, God. So how long were you at Trico? How long were you sort of situated so at, Trico, at Trico? So Trico, we had an office in that building in the back for a long time because our friend Justin had the store Glory next door. Um, That's right. And then when the landlord was like, hey, this shop's going to be coming up for rent, Matt again had the idea of like, let's, let's open a space, you know? So yeah, it could be a good idea. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, we started talking about the idea of having it kind of like, you know, it's different people involved and uh, and having, having you know, splitting the rent. And so I was back in London. I spoke to Reno from The Great Frog and I spoke to our friend John who had a clothing company over here and we decided to just go for it. You know, it was like whatever it was, a thousand bucks each for the rent and we would just like mm-hmm. DIY it, deck it out. And there'd be some Great Frog jewellery, some of John's clothing and some dice, you know. And, and Reno at the time was like, hey, you know, my, my cousin lives here and... She doesn't have a job and she's just moved from, you know, New Zealand and, you know, that, and that's how we met Imogen. Imogen started working Imogen. there. Um, 
and then yeah so and then it all started to go really well you know we had a great great few years and then you know it kind of changed our friend will thomas came in and took john's section Rayno moved out and got his own store in west hollywood and we still kind of you know still kept trucking along but when matt passed away it was just too much for me to kind of handle trico and dice so that's when i made the decision to kind of you know uh step away from trico and then move with the family to north carolina just to get a bit of breathing space and reset you know and so why was north carolina an option for you guys well my wife's originally from north carolina she's from a little tiny little town called eden and uh i'd already actually started a an event here in charlotte with some friends of mine who own a company called prism supply and we um we had this great dice magazine release party in whenever it was 2000 yikes i don't even know 2014 maybe and i got here and, and it was like i hadn't been to north carolina in a long time and i just saw the amount of like young excited people building motorcycles here and i'm like man this is the spot so me and jake from prism supply you know got to be real good friends and talk about some stuff and we were at the brooklyn invitational at one point must be six years ago seven years ago and i said man we should do a show in charlotte and like you know highlight the local talent you know of course california's got born free and the brooklyn invitation was just about ready to end i was like let's do that and so that's what happened and he, he called me up one day and he said man you know there's this event space it's the original model t ford factory in charlotte it's fucking fantastic perfect oh my God. yeah it's perfect for an event and i was like okay that sounds good i'm gonna be in eden visiting my wife's parents in a couple of weeks i'll meet you there and so it was this factory this old factory and it was fucking and in the war effort it was they, they made missile shells inside and all the floors like all these individual pieces of wood and the windows are really old and there was all these kind of like empty buildings around it and our friend who who's a property developer in new york bought the space and he was like i have a long-term plan for it I want to do events in here and then build up all these buildings so then prism supply moved into the first shop that he opened that's how they found the space. So we started the congregation show, which is the car and motorcycle show. And then Prism moved their office here. Um, and now I'm here. I have, we rent this big old Airstream and that's that's my office. And I'm literally, I'm looking out the window now behind me and it's the Model T Ford factory. So, <laughs> no way. So yeah. this is where you are. This is the Airstream that you're in. Yeah, now. I'm in I'm the Airstream. It's amazing. Yeah, it looks like a boat. It's all wood inside <laughs> and uh, yeah. You can't see it with those windows outside. That's the backing up to the Ford factory there. But that's that's amazing about prison. I mean, I mean, they are doing some really interesting stuff too, right? They're like yeah. making all kinds of shit for for, for bikes. For they RVs really are, yeah. They're um, they make a, a lot of really cool parts that you can just you know for the for the builder that can't really like TIG weld or fabricate and stuff like that. It's really good, you know, bolt on parts and and easy fab stuff that turn your you know stock bike into into a cool chopper or you know, street tracker, something like that. So Dean, so issue 96, 96. Yeah, it's, it's just out. gone out. It's just gone to print. Yeah, it's coming out at mid-June. Yeah, so. Mid-June, okay. So, so how, how does that feel? You're nearly at 100. I mean, how, how, I know, how, next year's how is that feeling? I don't even know. I don't even know. Everybody keeps saying, what are you going to do for issue 100? I'm like, I don't know. Retire? <laughs> oh, fuck, I don't know. Like, I mean, I actually really, because of course, you know, it's issue one to 49 is small format. It's a small magazine, digest size. And for issue 50, we wanted to kind of do something new and different and, you know, dice 2.0. And that's when we went to the larger format, more pages, better quality, you know, 
And we've always stuck to that. And even though it's like really fucking expensive to ship, you know, it just has to get better and better. So for a hundred, I don't know. It's either going to be the size. I mean, I was thinking about doing a tiny little one, you know, the size of like a thumbnail that comes with a magnifying glass or just a gigantic one. That's like the Wall Street Journal where you're just like, oh, why is this? It comes through the mail. It's like folded into nine pieces. But um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I'm excited. I mean, we've got, of course, you know, we have the congregation event in October, which is in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. And then we have um the 101 run which is in margate in england in july so that's going to be good we get we're getting ready for that gearing up and uh we're gonna have a pre-party and a post-party and we're teaming up with the albion rooms and love cafe out in margate that's owned by the guys from the libertines and uh, we've got carl barrett to dj one of the parties and that should be good man because like yeah it's just it's just a bigger space you know we want to keep it real english seaside you know, get some bunting up there and get some bikes in there. That'd be nice. Yeah. And what's the date of that? Do you know off the top of your head? July 16th. July 16th. Yeah. July 16th okay. for that. And then October the 8th is the congregation. Okay. I'll, again, I'll put a link in the description um, to anyone who's interested in going, but that'll be in Margate, which is Southeast London. Is that yeah. South? No, it's not South. It's Southeast England, should I say? Or yeah, I think so. Somewhere. Yeah, it's by the beach somewhere around there. Just just follow the coast. Yeah. You'll find it. Just ride around the coast. <laughs> somewhere down there <laughs> you'll hear some engines uh, i want to ask you dean about um about the the coop the mitch coop oh yes the mitch coop that is this? uh so that's my 32 <laughs> ford that i've had for 11 years so i mean to back up a little bit my parents uh grew up in the 70s in england and were very obsessed with america 50s americana you know clothes yeah. music cars so my dad was always like the weirdo you know um and had <laughs> when i was born he had a 59 chevy four-door flat top you know and they always wore levi's and leather jacket and you know they're always into it and listening to chuck berry you know so i grew up with that and you know obviously that was why i moved to america because everything i love i'm passionate about is you know like elvis and levi's and vintage clothes and all that stuff so that's why my dad was in a rock and roll band that's why i'm in bands and you know that kind of stuff but I think I was probably around, I don't know, five or six, and we watched the film American Graffiti. And it had, mm-hmm. you know, it had that yellow 32 Ford hot rod in it. And I've, it, since then, I was just obsessed with, you know, old style hot rods. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, me and my dad, I had my first car was a, a 32 Roadster when I was 16. And it was an original 32 Roadster, except for the body. The body was a, a fiberglass body, and it had a four cylinder Cortina Pinto engine in it. <laughs> so it looked right. old but it was like kind of modern you know but it had white walls yeah, and it was yeah. matte black and you know and that was my first yeah. car and then we found a 32 three window coupe in england a steel real car um that had some hard history and long story short i sold that car to buy a car that was in america because i was spending so much time in america and the other car was kind of a money pit so i ended up <laughs> buying this 32 three window it was an old hot rod um had a 350 chevy in it with an automatic trans and it was super channeled, but unchopped. I drove it around for a few years, and then that was like twelve years ago. And then I, I decided to do to just do it how I wanted to do it. So um, I was actually having a conversation with this this famous artist called Robert Williams in Japan, and he was like, "Have you still got that coupe?" You know, it's a few years ago. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I still got it, but it's kind of man, the thing's fucking undrivable. It's like it's super low <laughs> and the, it overheats." And he was like, "Well, fuck, man, why don't you unchannel it and chop it?" I said, I can't do that. It's a survivor. 
He's like, and it's a piece of shit. What are you talking about, Survivor? <laughs> he was like, seems, he's like, yeah, it's a Survivor, but it's not really a, a, an historical hot rod. And I was like, yeah, good point. I, I mean, I do have pictures of the guys, you know, when they're channeling the car in there. It came from uh, from Venice, Abbot Kinney. Yeah. And they were like, I've got great pictures of the guys drinking beers with no shirts on. And they're hammered, man. And they're just fucking channeling this car. No rulers, no measuring. You know, so he's like, man, how many coats of paint has that thing got on it? I was like, probably six. He was like, exactly, man. It's a hot run. But it's your car. It's your turn to do your thing with it. And I was like, yeah, good point. So then mm. I blew the car. I took it to the Kennedy brothers. We blew it apart. Had a, had the frame restored and boxed. And then that's when I put I threw the 350 in the fucking trash. And I put the 55 Cadillac 331 in there with a four-speed Muncie. Oh, my God. I kept the 57 Oldsmobile rear end. Four carbs. Um, <laughs> chopped the top, but blended the paint so it all looks original. So all the, the paint and interior and chrome's all old, but, like, the frame is dialed, you know? So, But it's essentially, you know, it's pretty hardcore, man. It's fucking, you know, zero visibility and no fenders and no windshield <laughs> wipers. And, you know, it's a four-speed manual. So, yeah, you know... At one point last year, I decided the car was in California getting some work done by the Kennedy brothers. And I was like, well, I could ship it back or fuck it. I could just drive it back. You know, it's only, <laughs> it's only what, 3000 miles or something. And so my mate, Larry, my uh, French photographer friend, um, you know, he's up for everything all the time, anytime. I'm like, Laza, hear me out, mate. You're going to love this. And he's like, I love it already. I'm like, we're going to drive the coupe from la to charlotte and he's like okay cool great 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 and this is around the time of born free it's fucking hot i mean you're in arizona right now it's fucking hot so and this car's got no fucking no air conditioning Uh, you know it's it's fucking brutal this thing so we prep the car we've got all our shit in the back and it's it's tiny in there like we're cramped in there and it's funny because on the monday after born free of course i've been in la for four days so i'm fucked i'm hungover i'm like i hate my life yeah let me just buy a tesla this i hate this piece of shit already i haven't even driven it yet and so we go to altadena where my friend's like storing the car and he's prepped it for us and we get there and we decided to shoot the whole thing just with polaroid so we can make a book about it and we which we did the book's going to be called kicks because we kind of we we followed i-40 which is parallel to route 66 we kind of dipped on and off yeah um which was fun. But so we picked the car up and it's funny, man. Cause he just like, he's like, right. And we got all our, you know, fucking spare tools and oil and shit. And like a backpack each. Cause that's all we can take. And just shit loads of Polaroid film. And so we get in and he's like, he's like, mate, mate, where are the seatbelts? And I was like, fucking the seat. That's the last of your worries, mate. We don't even have fucking windscreen wipers, let alone seatbelts. And we're heading East, man. Like it's fucking, there's like monsoon warnings. Yeah. So we yeah. leave, man, yeah. and that f- the first day was fucking brutal. Like, brutal. you know, because the car doesn't have an electric fan. It's just got a mechanical fan. It's got bias ply tires. It's got drum brakes. The thing's fucked, you know? I mean, I love it, but it's not really a car you want to yeah. drive across the country. But, you know, we, we go up the 15 across to Barstow. And by the time we get to, like, Needles, California in the desert, it's 111. So I'm like, it's 111. My eyeballs are hot. Like, I've never had that sensation in my life, right? And, of course, me and Larry, you know, we're wearing, like, black jeans and black T-shirts. It's like we're going to a fucking Fonzie convention. Do you know what I mean? It's like we are not prepared at all. And we're fucking sweating like maniacs, right? We're driving through the desert. And I am just keep looking at the temperature gauge. And my temperature gauge never went over 185. And I was like, 
I could fuck this car when I get to wherever I'm getting because I love it so much. It's it's because I'm expecting it to just blow up. You know what I mean? Because it's like it's this old Cadillac motor. It's like it's all you know. But so we get to Needles. We go through Needles, and eventually we get into like Williams, Arizona. It starts to get more greener. It starts raining. I'm like, oh my god! I've never been so happy to see rain in all my life. And then the four days after that were a breeze. You know, we went to uh, we went up to Santa Fe. Had a couple of problems with the car, but it turned out to just be plug wires. Fixed it, changed the oil, kept going. Went to Oklahoma City. Um, then we rolled into Nashville, stayed with some friends. Then we just, you know, drove over in, through the Black Mountains back into North Carolina. Fucking mm. no worries, mate. Rock and roll. Oh, perfect. And it was good because, we of course, the it. first day you're like, I was anxious. And, you know, you see now the car's performing and what's going on. You're kind of like cramped in there and you're sore. And the second, third, you just kind of get into the groove, and then you're like, "Oh man!" And then w- once I got home, it was weird to be out of the car. I was like, yeah. fuck? "It's like there's just so much space," you know, because we've been confined <laughs> for like four days. I've been next to a fucking Morrissey lookalike <laughs> for four days. I don't know what I'm doing now. <laughs> so, but it was great, man. It was great, and it's one of those things oh. that's been on my bucket list, and it's forever like, "Oh yeah, I don't know. The car's not ready." And I was like, "You know what? At this point, I'm like." Fuck it, man. I got a mobile phone and a credit card and yeah. AAA. So if yeah. anything happens, yeah. then fuck it, you know? I'll just take it out of Larry. I'll just beat him up on the side of the road. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Always take, always take a companion. <laughs> so no, just was, for that reason. Alone. Yeah, just for that reason. No, it was yeah. great, man. And we'd like, you know, roll into town and people would be like, Where are you going? We're like, Oh, we're going to Charlotte. And they're like, Oh my God. You know, and they're like, Where are you coming from? So we came from LA, you know, and they're like, you guys are fucking crazy. And I've got an English accent. He's got a yeah. French accent. Yeah. And we stopped in this one diner at one point in like, I think we're just outside of Oklahoma City. And the waitress is asking us, you know, where are you from? And how's it going? Why are you doing, you know, what are you doing? She's like, how's it going? So it's kind of like Brokeback Mountain, but with a car instead of a horse. <laughs> and she was like, and she was like, here's your check. Like, get the fuck out. You know what I mean? Some, like, little fucking Christian town where they're like, look at these two fucking gays. And so I just kissed Larry on the lips and we left. You know what I mean? So I did what I just, the other man would do. Yeah, I just snogged him and we left, man. Yeah, that's great, man. We had, that, was, that was definitely a highlight. Like, also, you know, it was highs and lows, but it was... You know, just I highly recommend doing a, a, a cross country road trip in an old car because seeing America through a fucking chopped 32 Ford windshield was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. You've been listening to Ironcast, the official Ironheart International podcast. A big thank you to Dean Mikitich. Ironcast is an island to island production hosted and edited by me, Ollie Walker. We hope you enjoyed listening and we look forward to dropping episode eight very soon. Take care.